Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 16 through 21 this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And as you're opening up there, let me just say one more uh, word of gratitude, how grateful I am to have each of you here this morning, and it's a joy uh, to be kicking off uh, the fall here at First Baptist Church. Things are ramping up, there's a lot going on, and so thank you to all of you for attending, for volunteering, all the things you do to make what we do possible. I could not be more grateful. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, if you have your Bibles open there, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel, and we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and worship today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The weeds are doing their best to take over, and I'm afraid they're winning. Three or four months ago, things were in perfect order. The new plants we just planted looked beautiful. The fresh pine straw looked perfect. I was out there with my tweezers, lining all the pine straw up, making sure it all looked perfectly the window boxes were thriving look forward to going out morning noon and night watering the window boxes making sure everything's very well attended to but it's the time of the year and the time of the season where everything's just a little harder to manage wake up in the morning get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning it's already 92 degrees outside and you say do i really want to water today do i have time to prune and trim It's just too hot to pull weeds. It's just too hot to do this. It takes discipline. It takes work to keep the weeds at bay. It takes good habits to keep the weeds at bay. I did some work in my yard on Friday, tried to deal with some weeds and some different things because I knew I was using the sermon illustration today, and I knew all you nosy people were going to be riding by my house to just see just how bad it really was. And so I went ahead, just so you know, don't even come by. It looks amazing. <laughs> we all recognize that good things, all good things, even enjoyable things, even the things we do for leisure, 
take work and discipline to truly enjoy. Some level of it. Whether it's your golf swing or your career, your pickleball game, if that's what you're into, gardening. It's important that we recognize we have good habits, good disciplines to build around these things if we're going to truly, truly enjoy it. However, I've learned something about myself, and maybe this is true of you as well. Sometimes I have this feeling in the back of my mind like the most important things in life ought to just happen naturally. I have kind of a romanticism about a few things. I've noticed this in other people as well. People will act like it's okay to be disciplined about your career, to be disciplined about learning, or to be disciplined about your body, trying to make sure you're uh, fit and in shape, and all these different kind of things. But we'll act like when it comes to things like our marriage or our relationships with our children or other family members, maybe even and maybe especially our walk with the Lord, those things ought to just be labors of love. They ought to just happen naturally. There ought not to be any discipline or work to it at all. But brothers and sisters, we all recognize if we don't work at some of these things, if we don't put some effort and energy into some of these things, they won't grow and thrive. It's not wrong or wrong-headed to consider putting work into the things that matter most. In fact, that's what I would encourage you to do. In this series, I'm calling our approach to walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, grace habits. I read a book earlier this year called Habits of Grace, and so this is my clever way of avoiding plagiarism charges. We could call the series Grace Habits borrowing shamelessly from a great book called Habits of Grace. They're also called spiritual disciplines, and we've talked about spiritual disciplines here a lot, and we'll continue to do so. But all of these things, whether you call them grace habits or disciplines or whatever you want to call them, they're things that we do to grow nearer and to walk closer with our Lord. This idea of grace habits, this phrasing, reminds us that these are opportunities to grow nearer to Jesus. Opportunities of grace. Privileges, in fact, not just obligations that are there to frustrate us. The Lord is meant to be enjoyed. This is what we're created to do, is to know God and enjoy Him. And so it's good then to have good disciplines, good habits, that we've built around the grace He's given us in order to know Him and serve Him and enjoy Him more. This morning we turn our attention, first of all, to the Word of God. What it means to pay attention to to the word. Isn't it amazing that God has spoken to us? That we can know what he has said? As Christians, we must be dedicated to reading the word, hearing the word preached, hearing the word taught, meditating on the word, being taught the word, all sorts of things we be committed to, what, what really Peter calls paying attention to the word of God. And this morning, I want to show you three truths about the grace habit of paying attention to the Word of God, how we can hear God's Word better, how can we can treasure and cherish God's Word better, how can we can build grace habits and maybe be inspired to build grace habits surrounding the Word of God in order that we might know and love God more. See, this is a privilege and an opportunity. Three, three truths this morning about paying attention to the Word of God. Here's the first. Pay attention to the Word and encounter Christ. Pay attention to the Word in order to encounter Christ. Now, listen, as you pay attention to the Word, as we talk about the Word, it's important for us to understand what the Bible is and what Christians really claim that the Bible is. Um, This is not simply an instruction book 
It's not simply a book of rules. So there are places where we're instructed and there are places where God gives us this law. Um, there's a popular notion afoot that the Bible is just a collection of fables or legends or mere religious ideas that we're wrong-headed, that it's sort of a superstition that Christians and maybe evangelicals in particular have taken and taken this book of books, this collection of writings, and started to call it the Word of God. There, there are these notions all out there uh, articulated from different people and in different ways. But I think it's important for us to recognize that the Bible's authors show remarkable awareness in how they talk about the Bible itself. In other words, any time, I mean, this is just basic understanding of an interpretation of any text uh, at all, it's important to take the text on its own terms, right? We don't want to simply come to it. Now, we, we can't help but come to texts or anything, any kind of art or anything we observe in the world. It's impossible to come with it with a totally blank slate, to have no preconceived notions whatsoever when we approach a text. But anything we look at, anything we read, anything we understand, we want to approach it on its own terms, you read some classic novel and you want to make sure you understand what it was the author was trying to accomplish with the novel as you read it. You want to take it on its own terms. So the Bible's authors show remarkable awareness in how they talk about the Bible itself. In other words, the, what the Scripture says about the Scripture, what the Bible says about the Bible shows a remarkable amount of awareness and there are things addressed in the Bible that, that make sense to our modern mind. In fact, the Bible itself makes claims that contradict the notion that this is just a collection of fables or something that grew into a legend over time in fact i want you to notice in particular what peter says in verse 16 for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty now consider for a moment the fact that there is in no way a, a realization or a way that we could come to the realization or the understanding that what Peter was simply doing was taking superstitions and trying to turn them into a religion. And just his own words flatly contradict this notion. In fact, what people tend to argue is that the Bible's nothing much different than some of the ancient uh, 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 mythologies and things like that. And here Peter is refuting that idea directly. We have to take him at his word. Notice what he says. He says, these are eyewitness accounts. We're not talking about following any devised myths. We didn't go and look and say, here's this great myth that talks about resurrection, so we followed that, and here's this myth, and so we followed that, and so we tried to put a pastiche of myths together that would appeal to our contemporary Greek and Jewish audiences. No, Paul later says that the Greeks and the Jews both find the cross of Christ to be foolish. Uh, Peter says, we're not coming to this with some preconceived notion about what we're trying to construct. No, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. What a bold claim it is to say that you're an eyewitness. To say this is based on something we've seen, something that happened. To hinge Christianity on the fact something really happened is a very bold move. And it's not something that really makes sense. And it's not something that the modern world thinks the biblical authors did. No, he says these are eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. For when he received honor and glory, we are eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ's majesty. In the verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him, for we were with him on the holy 
mountain. This is what we now call the transfiguration, this moment when the, on the holy mountain, God the Father spoke again this sentence, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. First time was at the Lord Jesus' baptism. You see, they were eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did and of what God said. But in the next verses, as we'll see soon, Peter goes on to associate this declaration of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, this audible voice of God from heaven. He begins to associate it with the written word of God. He's showing the way that Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of God's revelation. My friends, I want you to know something. People tend to want to divorce knowing Christ from the Bible. I see this a lot. I see people say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't really need the Bible to do that. All I, all I ever needed to know, as one seminary professor said, somebody told him one time, said, a lady came up to him and said, all I ever really need to know, I learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. Kent sang the song earlier, but my professor reminded her, for the Bible tells me so. We can't, can we? Even our most basic songs, we cannot divorce knowing Jesus from knowing his word. How do we know God is a God of love? How do we know that Jesus taught great moral teachings? How do we know these great revolutions that happen from Christianity? We know them by his word, by his word. Folks want to divorce knowing Christ from the Word, but it's impossible. The Bible is our source, and Jesus owns every word of the Bible. It is the Word of Christ. Our Christology, our understanding of the Holy Spirit, our understanding of God the Father, recognizes that there's not one word, if it comes from God, that does not also come from Jesus. We cannot say, I reject the Bible, but I love Jesus. You cannot know Jesus. You cannot love Jesus apart from knowing Him through His Word. My friends, there's nothing sweeter than knowing Jesus. We must pay attention to the Word, and in the Word, encounter Christ. But the second thing I want you to know is this. As you pay attention to the Word, think through how to have some habits to pay attention to the Word. Think about this. I want you to pay attention to the Word in dark days. In dark days. Now, I want you to consider for a moment having the privilege of having heard God speak from heaven. Isn't that an amazing privilege to consider? I mean, sometimes, I don't know about y'all, I get a little jealous of the disciples sometimes. Um, they got to see some cool stuff, didn't they? <laughs> Start thinking about some of the stuff Peter and John and the other disciples saw. Think about Peter being able to say, we saw his majesty. We saw the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And we were there. I mean, we were there. I love that Peter's calling attention to this because he kind of embarrassed himself a little bit. He wants to build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah and the others. Let's just stay right here. Jesus rebukes him a little bit there. But Peter's calling attention to this. I mean, we, we consider what a privilege. Can you imagine being there for the transfiguration? And you just think, man, if I could be there for the transfiguration, I could walk through a brick wall after that for the Lord. You know, I'm ready to roll. I feel so confident. I feel so sure. I trust Jesus. There's no way, you know, for example, I'm ever going to betray him before the cock crows three times. You know, I'm feeling great. Now consider for a moment, though, what Peter says. Think, think for a moment about this hive, what it might be like to be at the transfiguration. We heard this very voice, born from, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
more fully confirmed. Peter goes on, this is a passage about the Bible, it's a passage about the Scriptures. What is he saying as he transitions from the Mount of Transfiguration, something we would all consider to be the high point of Christian revelation, for God Himself to speak and say, this is my beloved Son. There may be some of you in the room right now that you say right now, if God would just say from heaven, Jesus Christ is Lord, this is my beloved Son, I know I would believe. But listen to what Peter's saying. He was there on the mountain and he heard it, but he says, guess what? What you need to pay attention to, what we have that's more fully confirmed is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. You have a prophetic word more fully confirmed than what Peter experienced as an apostle. Brothers and sisters, I don't think there are any of us who feel like we don't live in unsteady days. It feels like things are changing, the ground's quaking beneath us all the time. I don't think there are any of us here who don't feel like at times the days feel dark. And some of you may not feel like all the days are dark, but you might be walking through some dark days right now. Going through some difficult health challenges, some challenges with your family, financial challenges. I don't know what you're going through, but you might feel like the, day, the days are dark. But brothers and sisters, we have a prophetic word that's been more fully confirmed. If you feel like you're walking on shaky ground, guess what? The Bible is sturdy. It's something to hang on to. God has spoken. When everything feels like it's flying past us at 100 miles an hour, we can be sure of what the Bible says. But also in dark days, it's good to have a lamp shining in a dark place. You know, I didn't realize I needed a flashlight. I just, I guess in all the moving and everything else, um, mine got misplaced or couldn't find it or whatever else. But I didn't know I needed a flashlight until I went under my house one night to try to track down a leak. And I'm going to tell you something. It's nighttime. It's hot. You're in a crawl space under your house with nothing but an iPhone flashlight. <laughs> you know, pulpit's a bad confessional, but I'm just going to tell you I had some impure thoughts about my lack of a flashlight underneath that house. So I went to Lowe's, and I'm telling you, I bought an absolute eye scorcher of a flashlight. <laughs> I mean, it is an. I mean, it is an animal. This thing, I'm telling you, um, they could see it coming up through the floor floorboards later that night. <laughs> Just the lights. It was a. It was a great flashlight. I love it. You go under your house at night, and you realize things are dark. I don't really like that kind of like enclosed spaces, and I don't, I'm not like, man, let's go on a great adventure. Let's get under the house. I'm not like that. So, man, I liked having a flashlight. I like knowing what's going on. We have the Word. It's good to have light when you need light, isn't it? And I think sometimes Christians kind of get down and out about the way the world is, and they get down and out when they're in dark times, and we just forget, listen, brothers and sisters, whatever kind of light you've got, you need some more you need some help, and, and you don't know you need it till you need it, but the Word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light shining in a dark place. It's there when you need it. And Peter's saying it's better to have that. It's better to have that than it was to even be on the mountain of transfiguration. Consider that for a moment. The last time you're, next time you're so frustrated about the way things are, the good thing is, we will have the Word until we don't need it anymore. Until we know Jesus Himself fully, face to face. Do you see what Peter says? He says, You will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. That is, when the Lord Jesus returns, we won't need our Bibles anymore. I think we'll quote Scripture and hear Scripture in heaven, but it'll be different to know Jesus face to face. We won't need to know Him through the Word. But until then, this is what we have, and we have the tool that we need. Don't forget to pay attention to the Word of God. Finally, pay attention to the Word because it is from God. Uh, Pay attention to the Word because it is from God. The Bible does not contain the arbitrary, fleeting thoughts of man, but rather the very words of God. Notice what Peter says in verses 20 and 21. Knowing, first of all, verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I think it's really important to recognize this. I mean, Peter wasn't sitting down that morning watching atheists on YouTube trying to answer their questions. I mean, these are questions people have. I mean, this is just people, people just make this stuff up. Why would I care what man thinks? Paul, Peter's saying here, n- no prophecy of Scripture, nothing the Bible says comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I have a, a compatibilist understanding of the inspiration of the Bible. In other words, I don't think somebody sat down that morning and said, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to write a book of the Bible today. Um, you know, I've already got to write to the Romans. Let's make it Scripture. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. This is what Peter's doing here. No, as they sat down to write what they were writing of their own free will and of their own volition, simultaneously, God through the Holy Spirit was carrying them along, Peter says, was transcending their work and was inspiring their words in such a way that as Peter is writing to the people he chose to write to, at the same time, God is inspiring what he's saying in such a way that God is writing to the whole church for time immemorial. As Paul is writing to the Romans, God himself is speaking to you. God miraculously chose to speak through the written Word. Brothers and sisters, the Word is a gift from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord. I want you to know something. The Bible is not a burden. It's a gift. It's a treasure book. It's a treasure, a treasure chest. It's a trove of treasure. It's a, it's a gift from the Lord. It's something God's giving you. It's not just like, man, I, gotta, I guess I better read my Bible today. And I get how it can be a burden sometimes to have one more thing to do, but don't see it that way. Don't see these habits as checkboxes you need to get checked off so that you don't feel guilty when the pastor talks about quiet times. No, instead, look at it as an opportunity. Today, I get to hear from the Lord. I can experience something better. You know, if somebody pulled up in the DeLorean and said, hey, you want to go to the Mount of Transfiguration? What are you going to say? Sorry, man, I've got to get some oatmeal in me before work. No. No, you're getting in. You're going. And Peter says every morning you can meet with that God who spoke audibly on that mountain with a prophetic word more fully confirmed. Plan out your habits. Make a plan for paying attention to the word. Don't feel like that's wrong. Don't feel like that's bad. Don't feel like you shouldn't do that. I think you should. Plan out your habit. How are you going to read the word? How are you going to hear the word preached? I, I praise God for the fact, you know, guess what? You guys have a lot of fun, good things to do to enjoy our Father's world. I'm glad for that. You probably got some plans to go to some football games. You probably got some plans to go on some fall trips. You got some plans to do some different things. How are you going to make plans to hear the word preached during that time? You're going to catch up 
on podcasts? I mean, how are you going to do that? Hear the word preached. You don't want to be on a half diet of hearing the word preached. How are you going to hear the word taught? How are you going to read the word? How are you going to study the word? How are you going to go deeper in certain books? I just saw one church member this morning show me their new study Bible they bought because they want to study the word. How are you going to meditate on the word? How, how, how are you going to build a habits that reflect the fact you're cherishing the word of God? Oh, it's so important to do. It's so good to do. It's a lamp shining in a dark place. It's an opportunity we have to hear and know God. You would do well to pay attention to the Word, but I want you to know you're not going to coast into paying attention. You're not going to coast into paying attention. There are so many distractions out there. So many distractions. It's so easy to be distracted. I'll leave my phone with Whitney when I come up to preach. I'm afraid I'll check it right in the middle of the sermon. You know how easy it is, how tempting it is just to feel distracted all the time. That thing's down there, and I can feel it vibrating right now, you know. There's so many distractions. What will your plan be? How will you plan your habits? How will you build the Word into the warp and woof of your life? The world's dark. The world's unsteady. And you may not quite even realize how dark it is to get in the wrong place without the tool you need. So build habits today. But build the habits now to make sure that when you need it, you'll have a lamp shining in a dark place. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I want to tell you something. His Word teaches us that if you will turn from your sins in repentance, and turn to God in faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that we have a path and a guideway to know how to spend forever with God from His Word. And if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, oh, what a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about that. You turn from your sins, you turn to God in faith, you will be saved. I believe it with all my heart. If you want to talk with me, you come talk to me. If you want to catch me after the service, you catch me after the service. But if you want to pray right where you are this morning, oh, God will save you without any help from Matt Alexander. I can assure you of that. So second of all, you may be looking for a church home. Man, what a great, what a great church First Baptist Church is. I love raising my children here. And if you'd be interested in being a member here, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a member uh, this morning. And finally, you may, be, you may be a believer, and you may just need to say, ask the Lord for some help building out these habits. This altar is open to you, and I'd be happy to talk with you. Talk to you about anything you need to talk to talk to someone about this morning. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.